Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Yeager. And I'm Lisa Carrico. We're program directors for Missouri Humanities. And we're so excited to bring you our latest episode of Eat, Think, and Be Merry. This podcast is part of our 2022 signature series. And throughout this year, we'll feature food thinkers and other special guests with exciting, inspiring, and downright delicious stories as we consider the role food plays in shaping our society, how it connects us to each other, to our own pasts and identities, and to the world around us. We invite you to feed your mind and join us around the table as we host conversations that explore Missouri's foodways and edible history to celebrate the breadth and depth of Missouri's cultural heritage, natural environment, and the relationship between food and the human experience. Welcome to episode two of our Eat, Think, and Be Merry podcast, where we dig into food-related themes presented through a humanities lens. In our inaugural episode, we focused on agriculture in Missouri and discussed the history and current landscape of Black farmers in Missouri, along with Columbia's Center for Urban Agriculture's Henry Kirkland Black Farmer Scholarship Fund. Caitlin, could you tell us a little bit about this episode's theme? Yeah, so for this episode, we opted to talk about the craft beer industry in Missouri. In early March, we held a Think and Drink panel discussion in Augusta, which is located in the heart of Missouri wine country. We had a great conversation with two panelists about the past, present, and future of the German beer and wine industry in Missouri. But all of our research and talking um, about this topic really got us to latch on to the subject of women in brewing. With March being designated as Women's History Month, we wanted to dig deeper into the beer conversation and commemorate the month by hosting a conversation with women brewers about their experiences in the industry. I love that we arrived at this topic. Though men still make up a large percentage of the owners and employees in the brewing industry, as we researched more, we came across several articles highlighting women from across the state making strides as head brewers and brewery owners. And interestingly enough, in all this research, we discovered that the very beginnings of beer brewing is tied to women. Yeah, exactly. Women brewing beer has actually been documented back to ancient Mesopotamia about 4,000 years ago. So for hundreds, if not thousands of years, beer or ale, as it was more commonly referred to at that time, was consumed more frequently than water. It was rich in protein, calories, and carbohydrates, which was beneficial to those working particularly laborious jobs. So making this ale was considered domestic work and designated as women's work. So if we fast forward in history, we see this manifesting in different ways, such as women running taverns, brewing the beer for those taverns, and even selling their brews at marketplaces. So very fascinating. And Caitlin, did you know that the iconography of witches is thought to have come from women brewers? Think of the cauldrons of witches brew, the pointy hats, and even the witch's cat. Each of these common witchy symbols are tied to brewing. The cauldron seems obvious, but the pointy hats were worn so that women selling their brew in markets could be seen, and the cats were kept around to ward off rodents that would eat their precious grain. 
Though there are a lot of common links between brewing and these stereotypes, it is all quite widely speculated and not necessarily backed up by fact, but it makes for a fun story. Yeah, it is a kind of a fun story. It's certainly not the first example of society taking the success of women and spinning it into witchcraft. But what I think is interesting is how this industry shifted from women's hands into men's. And from my research, part of this is due to the Reformation in the 16th century and the heightened persecution of so-called witchcraft. The Reformation reinforced gender norms, and the men that started brewing beer started to take over the brewing industry to eliminate their female competition. A lot of this was in the form of accusing women brewers of witchcraft, making claims such as brewing potions in their cauldrons, um, and fearing the consequences that label brought with it, many women stopped brewing beer. And it seems that this has had a lasting effect. To this day, the top 10 beer companies in the world have male CEOs and mostly male boards. According to a study by Stanford University, only 17% of beer companies have female CEOs and only 4% employ female brewmasters. A huge reason for this breakdown can be attributed to advertising, especially in the later part of the 20th century and into the 21st century. We saw major gender bias in marketing, advertising beer as a man's drink. Right. And everything we just talked about makes me all the more excited to dig into this topic and introduce my guests for this episode, Abby Spencer and Bree Burrows. Abby is head brewer at Third Wheel Brewing Company in O'Fallon, Missouri, and an instructor for St. Louis University's Brewing Science Program. And Bree is head brewer and part owner of Big Rip Brewing Company in Kansas City, Missouri. This is so great, and I love that we were able to get women's voices from both sides of the state. Yeah, so to start us off, I wanted to know more about Abby and Bree's backgrounds and mainly what led them to brewing, and I was really intrigued to find out that brewing was not their plan, so to speak. Brewing was never the plan. That was not the plan at all. Um, Yeah, my background is kind of more front of house training and development is kind of my background, um, education especially. And I kind of fell into this job um, when some friends of mine decided to open up a brewery and I had been doing some very, very nerdy home brewing events where I'd been home brewing for years and years and was a huge geek about it and was hosting these like dinners and pairings and making way too much beer way over the legal limit for homebrewers and um yeah they liked my beer a lot and um I think they were also attracted to my love and passion for like that educational side and knew that it would fit well into what third wheel wanted to do long term um and so yeah they asked me to come brew um I said that they were crazy I took a week to think about it but I don't know. What do you say when somebody asks you to brew professionally and you weren't even looking for a professional brewing job, right? I mean, I guess I could have said no, but you know, today I'd be wondering what if, so I took it and yeah, here we are today. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, sort of similar to what Abby said, I never even really thought about brewing at all. Uh, I've worked a lot of really random jobs since high school um i never really followed through which with with much of anything in my life and then 
<clears throat> you know, my, my brother and my dad started home brewing uh, before me and then I started with them and then bartending here at the Big Rip once a week. And then when we had an assistant brewer uh, leave to go work somewhere else and a position opened, I was like, hey, you know, I can, you can train me if you want. And, you know, I'm already here. So um, they took me up on it. So it was pretty awesome. Uh, kind of, kind of in the right place at the right time. Uh, we also had our home brewing meetings here once a month uh, in the club I was in. So that's kind of how I met uh, the original owners here. Um, but yeah, before that, I, you know, it's one of those things I never really thought about the fact that there's a person behind these beers you're drinking. And it just like kind of sucked me in. So, yeah. I love that you, neither of you like planned for this. <laughs> and, and I think that's all the more interesting. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a very passionate kind of person that winds up doing something that they never planned to do and then ends up loving it. So I think that it almost makes you that much more passionate, that much more involved with the work you're doing. That's so great. Um, so I, I want to learn a little bit about your brewery. So, um, Abby, tell us a bit about Third Wheel. Um, what brews do you specialize in? What are most popular? Um, what's unique about your brewery? Or, you know, some breweries have a mission. You know, do you have a mission? You know, um, so Abby, tell us about Third Wheel. Yeah, so we uh, we turned five this summer, um, which is very exciting for us. We are a seven barrel brew house for around 200 gallons a batch on average. Um, we... You know, pre-pandemic, we were planning on being um, the St. Charles County Brew Pub. It, we were going to be the brewery of St. Charles County, which is a very large county that butts up next to St. Louis County. Um, when we opened up, we were one of four breweries in the whole county, whereas St. Louis County at the time had over 30 breweries. So, um, and St. Charles is a much larger county as well. Uh, we're now up to nine or 10 here in St. Charles, but still less than a third of what St. Louis has. So um, as for beers, um, I take a lot of pride in the fact that we really try to run the gamut. So I drink everything and therefore I enjoy brewing most things. So <laughs> Um, but to really hone in like what, like, um, our regulars would know me for is definitely probably our dark beers. So we do a lot of porters, a lot of stouts, and then we do a lot of, uh, like fruited sours that, um, are pretty popular. So, um, and we have like a series of fruited sours that we release, you know, pretty for like every quarter we do a new fruit or whatever. So, um, but yeah, we, um, we have a huge tasting room. So we have a 4,000 square foot tasting room. We can fit a little over 200 people up there. We have a full restaurant. Um, well, it's like a partner restaurant that um, people can go to and, you know, soup, salad, sandwiches, the whole nine yards. Um, on average, I usually have about 16 of our own beers on draft, which sounds obnoxious and it can definitely be um, maybe a little over ambitious. Um, and we can definitely talk about, I know, Caitlin, you wanted to chat later about, you know, proving and self-worth and, you know, but I got 16 beers on drafts. So no one can <laughs> tell me I'm not working my ass off. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so um, we did start distributing uh, right around the pandemic. 
Um, so we now send beer to Columbia, Missouri, and general like Boone County, and then all over St. Charles as well. We just launched into Washington, Missouri this month as well. So I think that kind of covers all the stuff that we do. Yeah. All right. So Bree, you're at Big Rip Brewing in the city, other side of the state. So tell us about Big Rip. All right. So let's see the Big Rip. We will turn nine this year. I have been here since I never remember. I think 2016, 2016 or 17. I think it was 2016. Um, <laughs> The original owners are not around anymore. So it's, uh, I am one of the current owners as well as a couple of other guys. Um, but it's kind of started as a horror sci-fi themed kind of place. And we kind of incorporate that into most of our labels and beer names. Um, we're currently trying to go stray more towards the sci-fi and outer space kind of thing right now. Um, Very trendy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, our, let's see, our most popular beer is uh, Zelda's Vanilla Cream Ale. Um, it's currently the only beer we distribute, um, but we are working on more soon. <laughs> um, it's, it's rough to navigate getting started out in distribution, especially when you have to go through a third party. <laughs> um, yeah. But we're working on it. Um, I can't say we really specialize in anything specific. Um, the one, one of the beers I've never made is a sour. So I'll tell everyone to go to third wheel for sours. Um, but um, I really, really enjoy incorporating food in my beers in some way or another. Um, like I, one of my most favorite beers to make is actually a gluten-free beer that we make with sorghum and honey. And my idea is like, I wanted a salsa verde beer. So we do roasted tomatillos, jalapenos, and pineapple in it. Um, and then do like a rim of like uh, Mexican seasoning. Yeah. So How cool is that? <laughs> That's awesome. It's pretty fun. So um, yeah, I like, I don't know, I just like doing weird things. Um, but as far as the tap room, we also serve like liquor, cocktails, wine. Um, we have cider from Casey Cider Co. and kombucha from the brewery on tap. Um, and then we do some house-made sodas as well. Um, and then I think we just kind of try to have something either, either on tap or something available for everyone to enjoy, including kids and people that don't drink. Um, and then also try to do some good, you know, work with charities uh, as much as we can, as well as kind of trying to support other small local businesses when we can as well. Great. Um, so let's dig a little deeper. Let's talk about your experiences working your way up in this industry as a woman. And what I think is really great about having you two as our guests is that you guys have both said that this was not your plan to be a brewer. Um, so I think that makes your journey all the more interesting um, and your perspective unique. So as a woman, you know, do you, you know, Abby, you mentioned, you know, that we're going to talk about proving yourself, you know, you've got 16 beers on tap, you know, what do you have to prove? But um, I think as women, it, there's always that little, little something in your brain that feels the need to, to prove ourselves you know, in any way that we can. So um, 
you know, what was, what's it been like? What's your experience been as a woman working your way up, you know, from, you know, outside of this industry, working your way in and working your way up? So because I came into production straight away as a head brewer, it was pretty, um, a little bit of a different path than I think what most production brewers or anybody on the production side kind of experiences. So it's hard for me to speak very specifically to like working my way up. Now, that being said, I'd been in the industry for six or seven years, bartending and managing and training and development within the beer industry. I feel like the beer industry on the side of bartending and managing and training and development, it's a natural fit for my personality and um, I don't know, kind of like my feminine side, I suppose, if I want to like overgeneralize a little bit and just me, you know, and my personality as well. Um, I didn't feel much of my gender or the effect of it, like on that side of things. Um, I mean, obviously as a server and a bartender, as a woman in any alcoholic beverage industry, you definitely going to be reminded that you are a woman and that you have things that men don't and they want. And, you know, you go through the whole rigmarole, which is a whole nother conversation we can definitely talk about. But, you know, in general, the actual working atmosphere, I, it, I don't feel like my gender affected me really at all. And sometimes might've even at times benefited me. Um, that being said, once moving into brewing and production, I think at the end of the day, a lot of times my gender affects me just because of my own perception and my like very like awareness that, okay, I'm a girl. I'm, I don't look like any of these people. So I'm going to go figure this out on my own and not call anybody that doesn't look like me and ask them any questions, you know? And what I've done is I've made this very tiny circle around myself of people that are my confidants and my advisors, um, other owners and other head brewers that have like with open arms called me up and said, anything you need, please let us know. And like, it's a very tiny circle and um, I use them quite a bit for the first few years, that's for sure. That being said, now that I've been doing this for five years, I that circle has grown just because with time I've met more people and with time I feel like maybe I have proven myself. Um, you know, I do wonder, it's always in the back of my mind how seriously I'm taken, you know. Um, you know, not only am I a girl, but, you know, sometimes I wear makeup and dresses and big earrings and how seriously do they take me when they see me like that? Um, and should I care? <laughs> but I, it's always here, right? It's always like in my mind and wanting to make sure that I give myself the time and space to like make sure I feel confident speaking to them um, so that they feel comfortable when they interact with me, that they, they realize, okay, she, she is there brewing. She's just not a token, like sitting up there doing the pretend thing, that kind of thing. So I think in terms, yeah, in terms of production, I think so much of it just comes like internally, um, 
and especially as like the more I'm out here and the more I'm meeting more people, the more I realize I could have called them up years ago and they probably would have been as equally as friendly as they are to me today. You know what I mean? Especially on the production side. So, so Lisa, I wanted to pause here just for a minute. Earlier, you and I talked a lot about the history and background of women in the brewing industry and its shift to a predominantly male industry. But let's bring this to a local level. Yes, let's take it local. Missouri ranks 20th in the country for the number of craft breweries, and according to the Missouri Craft Brewers Guild, Missouri is home to 150 independent craft breweries. These brew pubs and breweries employ more than 9,808 people in the state, paying an average wage of $41,501 with a $1.2 billion economic impact. And that is billion with a B. Yeah, that's incredible, especially when you think of the few big name breweries that have made Missouri a destination for beer. It means that much more that smaller independent breweries can make a significant impact. And to bring this topic back to women in the industry, Auburn University did a study in 2014, which concluded that women made up 29% of all brewery workers. And I hope that since then, that number's only risen. And what's even more is that according to the Brewers Association, women consume around 30% of the craft beer on the American market. And clearly, they're not only drinking a significant portion of the product, but also filling positions in all aspects of the industry. Exactly, which is why a conversation with two leaders in the Missouri craft brewing industry is that much more important. So let's get back to that conversation with Abby and Bree. Yeah, so I I kind of agree with Abby with some of the uh, what she was saying about uh, it was kind of hard at first to approach men in this industry with questions and stuff because you don't want to be perceived as like, oh, well, this woman who just started in this industry doesn't know what she's doing so she's going she's got to ask all the men how to do it but you know in reality there isn't much other option (laughs) like when we started like out like you know because it seems like we both kind of got into it around the same time and uh and yeah there wasn't like i don't think i knew any women in this industry really when i started um, even in the homebrew club, there was very few, there was maybe one or two other women that would come to meetings and even talking to male homebrewers can be, can be rough because they, you know, they kind of think they know more than you <laughs> anyway. So that's hard. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've had to prove myself, but I feel like it's just been harder to navigate and ask questions when there's not someone that looks like you um, in the industry to reach out to for help. Um, So yeah, I do have also have like a smaller group of of people that I ask for help from. Um, Most like a lot of them are guys, just guys that I've I've, come close with and have been friends with now for a little while. Um, I can't say I would ever ask random brewers questions because I just don't have the confidence to do that. Um, Not just because I'm a woman, I just, 
have anxiety, you know. Recently, <clears throat> one day the tap room was open and I was in the on the brew floor working and we have big windows that look into the brew floor from the tap room. And there were some guys here and they asked the bartender like, oh, who's that person back there? And she's like, well, that's the brewer. And they're like, oh, well, where's the owner? And she's like, well, she's one of them too. And he's like, oh, well, how does she move kegs around? <laughs> and I'm like, probably the same way you do. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, such a weird question. Like, like just some of the comments and questions that some men have about, about the women or to the women in this industry are just, just strange. Like they think we, they really do think that we cannot do the same things. And mm -hmm. it kind of blows my mind. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think what's interesting too, is I, I think that translates to so many parts of life. And, and you can almost say the reverse of that in a, in a female dominated industry, people or, or whatever, people assume that, that men can't do what women can do. I mean, that's often in, in parenthood, you know, especially, you know, people assuming that a mom and a dad can't do the same thing. So I think it's really interesting that it, it's, it's, it kind of swings both ways. Yeah. I don't know, Brie, I'm sure you get this question often. And, you know, Caitlin, when you reached out to us, it meant the world to me that like, it wasn't approached as such a thing as like, what's it like being a female brewer? And I'm like, I get that question so often mm -hmm. that I'm like, you're, you're missing, you're missing this huge, you're missing the fact that I'm a person. You've just mm -hmm. like, you know, um, all you're doing is looking at me and deciding maybe I don't quite belong in this space. And so you've just like, kind of like been like, well, what's it like to be in this space you shouldn't be in? And mm -hmm. I'm like, you're, you're, you're missing Perpetuating it. Perpetuating something. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's also a lot of, um, even if it's unknown, but like, like to them, but just not necessarily discrimination, but weirdness from male customers. Um, I, I bartended at a craft beer bar here, one of an ITAP. I know you guys have an ITAP out there too. Uh, but when this one opened up here, I bartended and we would get so many guys come in, look at me, ignore me and go to the male bartender uh, to get help ordering a beer. And just to prove a point that male bartender would always come to me and be like, Hey, can you help this guy out? It's just to prove that, you know, I know just as much, if not more than the male bartenders do, but there's some bias in a lot of guys' minds that they're just like, well, I'm going to go to the guy cause he's going to know more. So it's, it's definitely but what I love about what that, that example, like it's silly that the customer would prefer a male, but I like the fact that your male coworker proved a point to the customer, hopefully proved a point that you both can do the same things and you're both just as worthy of being there. Absolutely. Yeah. Good on your coworker. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Brie, last summer, uh, KFPH did a featured article on you um, and your experiences or challenges as a queer person in the industry. So if you're comfortable, um, would you be willing to reflect on those challenges? So I think that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, it's 
it's somewhat hard to speak on specific challenges related to being queer in the industry, uh, just because I, you know, I've been here my whole career in this industry, but it is, it can be weird. Um, being a masculine presenting woman, it's sometimes hard to find where I fit in. Um, the majority of women organizations or events in this industry are super feminine focused. So yeah. lots of pink stuff and flowers and women's cut t-shirts and stuff like that, jewelry, all that. And it's like, well, yes, I'm a woman, but I, I don't fit in that with mm -hmm. that. And then yes, I am masculine, but I also don't make crude jokes about body parts. <laughs> like a lot of men do. And so I don't really fit in there. And, you know, they also see me as a woman. So it's hard to fit in with, with men. It's hard to fit in with more feminine women. So I do still just try to keep like, you know, my little circle and try not to think about it much. Um, mm -hmm. I do have like a big pride flag hanging in the brew floor. Um, and the point is that since people can see into the brew floor, I want queer folks coming in to know that this is a safe split, a safe place. They can be themselves here. I've had a lot of customers come back over and over again just because they saw that flag there. Um, I've also had folks yell at my staff and say that we're all gay, only in a more derogatory way. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's weird. Um, a lot of, it's also hard because I feel like the LGBTQ community has a stigma against them for, for drinking a lot um, and doing a lot of drugs. So, and a lot of it is like, you know, Bud Light and Miller Light, they sponsor most pride events around the country. So it's hard to be a craft brewery and try to sneak in there mm -hmm. and take that stuff over. Like at our Pride Fest last year, all you could get was like Miller Lite, I think. And some, and a, like there was one beer option and a bunch of seltzers and liquor. And so it's kind of like it, 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 yeah, it was just like this assumption that, you know, LGBTQ people only drink a certain thing or they drink too much and trying to be a sponsor of something big like that as a craft brewery is is difficult even though I wish it was easier. <laughs> so what do you think um, in your experience should be done differently you know to for you to for you and for the LGBTQ community to feel more welcome um, to feel more, I guess not more, not, not so much welcome, but more included. I think included is probably a better word. Um, and to be seen and heard at these events that are so important to them. Yeah, I think um, first off, stop just having pride during Pride Month. You only ever see breweries do pride events, come out with Pride beers, sell Pride merchandise in the month of June. It never happens any other time of the year. Um, like, you know, 
we're still proud and around and we still exist in October and in January. Like you don't need to have, and it's just like, you know, February's Black History Month. Like you don't need to only do Black history related stuff in February. You don't need to do LGBTQ focused stuff only in June. Mm-hmm. Spread it out a little bit. Um, we exist all year round and it comes off as just a, a show if you're only doing it the one time a year. Um, I try to tell people every year to, during Pride, like, yeah, it's cool that you change your logo to a rainbow version. That's great. It shows, yes, that you are accepting but also what else are you doing? Mm -hmm. Are you actively reaching out to the community? Are you actively and purposely showing the LGBTQ community that we matter? Like, you know, if you don't have gender neutral bathrooms, then it's gonna be a big put off for a lot of queer people. a lot of queer people will not go to places that don't have gender neutral bathrooms. And I think even, even like signs on doors that say, you know, we're all inclusive and like list stuff off is even a good step. Um, I think also having, you know, your staff trained in some sort of like bystander intervention training, you know, and that goes for, And that's helpful for for everyone, like, you know, domestic issues, like domestic assault issues, um, people on blind dates that you may need to intervene, um, and basically anything else. It's, you know, take steps and show the public that you care year round. Mm -hmm. I think, too, that kind of goes for, you know, I think a lot of restaurants, a lot of breweries, a lot of people in that industry are such big members of their communities. I mean, if you think about, you know, how much money, how much time, how much community is, is spent is seen in restaurants and bars, um, you know, what is that? I think what's becoming more and more important now, especially I think kind of as we're heading into maybe a post-COVID era, maybe, <laughs> um, what, you know, how do these members of the community being restaurants or bars or breweries interact with their community is it are they are they a positive influence um you know this is places where people spend a lot of time and money so um it's it's i think people are now looking to where can they spend their money in a place that also helps that gives back um you know and it doesn't always have to be money wise you know i think you know brie you brought up a great point with you know making sure staff is trained um you know, to help in a, in a, you know, a blind date or any kind of, you know, date situation or, um, you know, if somebody's maybe had too much to drink or um, ride share issues, that kind of thing, you know, how are, how are people trying to make their communities a better place to be and starting with their own establishment? So um, you brought up some great points. Thank you. Yeah. And I think um, another, another big thing that establishments can do is do more research into charities that you work with and don't just don't just say yes to every donation request that comes in your door i am very particular when it comes to 
charities that we work with, I look into them quite a bit to make sure that their their views align with ours and that they don't discriminate against anyone at all. Um, so I think a lot of a lot of places can can do put a little more work into choosing who they work with. I will, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of chat about this briefly, but you know, I've been, I feel really fortunate that like, especially as of late, and when I say as of late in the last like two to three years, we've had so many awesome um, resources that are really readily accessible to us on how to better support all these different marginalized communities, right? Or these communities that don't see themselves in our industry. And so much is so simple and so easy, like Bree was saying, that, you know, you don't necessarily need to go out and recruit people to come to your your place. You can literally just like make it a welcoming space and and they will come to you. You know, and that for us, it's just, it's so, it's been so simple for us to just say it, it, something as simple as like creating a code of conduct that we are explicitly are just like, everybody here is welcome and we will not accept anybody into our establishment that does, that has any type of discrimination or any kind of harassment, like Bray was saying, you know what I mean? And like, so for just us to post our code of conduct and say, everybody is welcome here, no matter what. And to actually ver like state verbally, anybody who says otherwise and comes in here will be removed, you know, mm -hmm. um, something as simple as that, you know, so. Mm -hmm. So let's switch gears a little bit um, slightly. Talking about resources. Um, so when I was looking into this topic um, and kind of how I came across Abby, a roundabout way of getting to your name, um, what's the Pink Society? Which, Bree, you mentioned pink things. Pink Boot Society <laughs> is, the, is the society, uh, an organization for women in the brewing industry. So um, what are your guys' experiences with Pink Boots? Can you tell us a little bit about the Pink Boots Society? Um, have either of you been personally impacted or um, can you tell us about the kinds of resources um, offered for Pink Boots? Yeah, I would love to talk about Pink Boots Society. Right. Um, <laughs> so I actually, so when I received the offer here at Third Wheel, so I received my job offer in late 2016, we opened up in 2017. Before we even opened, I went ahead and joined Pink Boots purely for selfish reasons. And that was for their scholarships. So Pink Boots, their main mission, they're a 501c3 because their main mission is they raise funds to send women in, within our industry to like further their education and, you know, things like that. So in 2016, I joined at that time, how Brie was saying, there weren't hardly any women in the industry around those years that she and I were getting started. Um, there was no St. Louis chapter. There was actually, I don't even think there was a Missouri chapter at all. Like our closest chapter was like two states away or something like that. So I was kind of out there on my own, but I applied for a scholarship and got it. So I was granted a week long stint at UC Davis for the Brewing Science and Operations Program. And um, I did this really amazing class and they paid for my flight, my hotel and all this stuff. And it, I mean, 
you know, especially somebody like just coming into the industry, having no production experience at all, it was huge for me. And so to this day, I'm a huge pink boot supporter and advocate. Uh, that being said, the number one thing I do get feedback about with pink boots is definitely the pink part. Um, <laughs> ironically, I'm like wearing pink today, but um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the way the way they decided to brand the organization. I think that was they missed the mark quite a bit. I try to remind myself that they did this many, many years ago and maybe in a slightly different space and time than where we are today. Um, and I'm sure with all positive intent is what I try to remind myself, right? So at the same time, uh, yeah, it's the number one thing I hear is like, why pink boots? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you, especially cause like, you know, today is that time where my best friend is having kids and is obsessed with like gender neutral colors for all of her children. And, you know, and I'm just like, here we are like I today I actually am wearing my actual pink boots and I'm just like I mean I just I wear them loud and proud and that's all I can do right but that being said what's the more important thing here is like the organization itself has done an, an impeccable job in my community at least of including women that maybe wouldn't have gotten as included. It's provided this more open and safe space for a lot of women that I think um, may not have been able to meet some of the people they've met, uh, gotten the resources. So not only do we have the scholarships, but we have these forums that, you know, that are pretty active, like technical stuff, uh, sales and marketing stuff, random questions about anything and everything in our industry. So you don't have to just be on the production side. It can be anything in our industry, as long as you make money in beer. And now wine and spirits have also oh. been included. So wine and spirits just got added. I think sometime during the pandemic, they got added. So now we have opened up, it's pretty much alcoholic, the alcoholic beverage industry, which is really cool. Um, it's a really great learning opportunity to see what other careers and options are out there for us. It's really um, a lovely space for women to like see people who look like them. Um, it, 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 it has been to me like a really lovely lifeline in like dire times of need when I, for whatever reason, my beer is not doing what it's supposed to do. And I have this outlet of being like, I don't know any of you, but I don't think you're going to overly judge me for not knowing what I'm not knowing. And so you're going to help me and you're going to do it without all the added comments and baggage that goes along with asking questions on some of these more male dominated forums. I find it a lot easier to ask questions to like Pink Boots Society uh, versus, you know, the big male dominated Facebook groups and stuff where they give a lot of crap to everyone else that asks a simple question. Um, but yeah, I, I think I joined, I probably joined Pink Boots around like 2018. I know at the time we had one person in Kansas City that was a member, uh, Annie, and I think we had to join like the Chicago chapter or something. Um, and she started the one here and then 
Annie's at a uh, monkish in California now. She left us, but she still is part. She pays double her Pink Boots membership so she can be in Kansas City's chapter still. It's pretty funny. Um, but now we have quite a bit of of women here in KC. Um, I feel like we still need to do a little work on like our monthly <laughs> meetings and stuff. Um, it's kind of hard to it's been kind of hard to get back into the swing of things after COVID and get people interested in, in meeting up once a month. Also, I think in 2018, maybe like a year after I joined Pink Boots, I got a scholarship from them as well to go to Hoppin' Brew School in Yakima. Um, yeah, they paid for the school, they paid for hotel flight. I got my awesome pair of Pink Boots after. <laughs> I rock them too, even though they're pink, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Pink's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's cool. And now, you know, our our membership fees and stuff go to our local chapter instead of just going back to the big organization, um, which it all used to just go to the, the organization itself. But now it feeds back into our chapter to, so we can go to other breweries and go on tours and have other people teach us things um, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, you know, we, I have my annual Pink Boots beer on tap now. It's called Foggy Haddonfield. It's kind of a homage to Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> um, but it's it's a New England IPA, and we use the the new Pink Boots hop blend that they make every year uh, in that. So, and then so do, you know. uh, that's intriguing. So, what's what's the Pink Boots beer like? Tell me about that. <laughs> so every year um, for International Women's Day, they do the Pink Boots Brew Day, and they encourage people to do it like around March eighth, um, Women's Day. Um, or sometime in the month of March. Um, and then every, I want to say like August or so, shortly after harvesting season for hops in the Pacific Northwest, Yakima Chief um, works with Pink Boots Society to create a blend of hops. So it's usually five hops, I believe. Five yeah, or six. it's it's rotated between four. Last year was seven. I think this year is five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sometimes in the past they've done it where it's like kind of like a scholarship. Like select people or chapters will get to choose. But last year they sent out samples to every chapter that wanted to participate. So during our meetings we would rub the hops and smell them and then try to decide which ones would work together. And then once all the final votes are counted, then they take the most loved blend, I guess, and Yakima Chief Hops makes that specific Pink Boots branded hop blend. And then a dollar from every pound of hops that Yakima Chief sells goes back to Pink Boots Society and then breweries can also, um, if they officially sign up on the Pink Boots website for a brew day, then they, they're they signing up to donate, um, to promise to donate money back to Pink Boots Society as well. So 
other breweries can purchase the blend from the, I, I'm not gonna try it. What's the name of the hot Yakima Chief. So we call okay. it YCH. If it's <laughs> okay. uh, so, you, so a brewery can either purchase directly from them and individual chapters, individual uh, breweries like are in these chapters of Pink Boots get some as well and can, so does then, do you then, um, and this is my ignorance and not knowing much about brewing, but do you then just get to take that blend of hops and, and create whatever you want out of it? Or is it a special recipe or um, what about that? Yeah, it's, and it's any, any brewery. So even if the brewery is all men working there, they can buy mm -hmm. the hop, they can sign up for the brew day and donate. Um, so anyone can do it and they don't have to use the hop blend either. Like we have some, here in KC that do the pink boots brew, but they use whatever hops they want. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's easier for them because they have contracts, contract hops that they can use. Um, but yeah, I think Abby, you might know if they, when they, cause they used to do a specific style, right? Yeah, there was a style once or twice, if my memory serves me correctly, but I know since I've been brewing it, there's never been like a dedicated style. We get to do whatever we want. That's really cool. And then you said, just to reiterate, if so people can either get this blend or they can just say that they're going to do the Pink Boots Day and either way, a portion of that goes back to the organization. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah, it's kind of like a nice double whammy. So you've got the the hop company putting this blend together. So they're crunching up like five different hops and putting them all in one bag for us, right? And it's what the, the girls decided to do. It's what the Pink Boots organization decided, which is really cool that we get to decide what hops are in this bag, which is, it's pretty fun. So YCH, the big hop company, they do a huge donation at the end of the year. And then on top of that, each individual brewery is doing their own individual donations for their batches. And that batch money goes back to the chapter in which they're typically, which they're brewing for, which is a really big deal. So, um, you know, that's probably our local largest fundraiser for sure are the, any of the breweries that want to donate to the St. Louis chapter. It's definitely like our biggest yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep my eye out when I'm at a brewery and, and you know, is it, it, it can, is it usually during Women's History Month and they can kind of do it throughout? Yeah, so we try to brew, like Brie was saying, we try to brew it in the month of March, just, you know, around, you know, International Women's Day. So the St. Louis chapter every, the last two, two years, COVID is, I don't know what, <laughs> what is what, but the last few years we've done, we've done a really fun, just like all of us get together. Um, all of us who are not brewing it that day, we get together and we go support the breweries that are brewing it, especially the breweries that don't have members, right? Oh, so those yeah. are the breweries that we really wanna go say, hey, thanks so much. And, you know, we go out, we do some social media posts, we throw some hops in a boil and and we run away. It's It's yeah. very, it's fun. It's a really fun day. It's a big deal to like get us all together and raise a whole bunch of money for ourselves and, and put it towards a good place. So that's great. Yeah. And yeah. so you see like over the, 
you'll see all these beers getting released over the next, you know, they'll start releasing them in mid-March, but you'll see them being released between mid-March and May. Caitlin, there's so much richness in the conversation thus far. It's interesting to hear that in late 2016, there were hardly any women in the industry when Abby and Bree joined, and that there were no pink boot chapters in Missouri, which now there are three. It is truly powerful to hear Abby and Bree's evolution stories of not only witnessing more women being included in the brewing industry, but more so being a part of that growth. I agree. It really adds perspective to the changing landscape of women making progress in the brewing industry. While doing the research, I was really drawn to the Pink Boot Society's mission, which is to assist, inspire, and encourage women and or non-binary individuals in the fermented and alcoholic beverage industry to advance their careers through education. And it was neat to hear how the organization has aided both Bree and Abby in their careers. Absolutely. Something that really stood out to me about the Pink Boots Society outside of the scholarship and educational resource is their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and providing resources to help brewers create inclusive and equitable environments. During the conversation, both Abby and Bree brought up overcoming industry bias, harassment, misdirected marketing, and offering solutions such as intervention training and introducing a code of conduct to create a safe and welcoming space. And to take this a step further, the Pink Boot Society, along with several other entities such as the American Society of Brewing Chemists and Master Brewers Association of the Americas, have come together as the Brewing Respect and Unity, or BREW, coalition with the objective to leverage the combined reach of these organizations to drive industry-wide adoption of best practices for preventing discrimination, harassment, and violence within the brewing industry. This is so important, but before we go further, I would like to warn our listeners that for the next couple minutes, we will be addressing sensitive content that pertains to harassment and assault. So in 2021, Brianne Allen, a brewer at Notch Brewing, asked via her Instagram story, have you ever experienced sexism in the beer industry? According to an article published in the Boston Globe, within hours, she received responses detailing experiences of sexism, racism, harassment, and assault. As a result of sharing her personal story and a thousand plus other stories publicly, this initiated a global Me Too movement in the craft brewing industry. To keep the momentum going, she helped create Brave Noise, a global collaborative effort to provide inclusive and safe environments in the industry. There are currently 262 breweries have committed to the cause and have brewed the special pale ale recipe. I'm really glad you brought that up. During our conversation, Abby and Bree felt compelled to bring attention to this movement or cultural shift occurring within the brewing industry, and Abby mentioned Brave Noise. So let's hear a little bit of what Abby had to say about the topic. About a year ago, our industry kind of underwent our own Me Too movement. And so we are still kind of in the midst of trying to figure it out. I think we're still at the very end of the phase of what what the hell are we supposed to do now and how how do we move forward? And Brave Noise, which was a collaboration beer around harassment and specifically anti-harassment, um, it, 
it was, I think, kind of came out of that movement. So it was like the first concrete, actionable item that we could have done. Um, but, you know, we were just talking about Pink Boots Brew Day. So on March 8th, we went around and brewery hopped to four or five breweries. I had a, we had maybe any between eight and 12 women from our Pink Boots group at these breweries, which is really cool. On that day, I talked to three women that within the last year had been directly harassed in one way, shape or form by their employer. So it like, I just wanna make sure that this, um, that it's clear that our industry, we're having this reckoning and we have a lot of work to do. And it's really important to me to just kind of put that message out there that we're gonna we're gonna do something right like we're gonna find more action and maybe more local action in which to tackle this issue it's not only heartbreaking and like it's infuriating and i'm just mindful that it's our moment to kind of like take this back right mm -hmm. it's our moment that we can find a way together and a way forward that we do educate all of our breweries and all of our alcohol industry partners that this is not acceptable and you will be exposed as it comes forward. We know this is a heavy topic, but we felt it would be taken away from the full narrative not to address it. It also was a great way to transition to our next topic, which is about how in light of all of this, Abby and Brie use their experiences to help empower other women in this field and beyond. How do you use your influence, you know, both of you being affiliated with, you know, Pink Boot Society, so having contacts, having resources, being, um, you know, part owners or head brewers, um, how do you empower other women? Um, and this can be no matter their career path, you know, just from your own stories, um, how do you empower other women? Man, that's hard. Um, <laughs> it's hard. I think it is. It's it's hard because you don't want to do it the wrong way. There are a lot of breweries out there that, in order to try to get more women in the door, they make a pink beer, and then they're like, "Oh, this is for the ladies." It's like, no, let's not do that. <laughs> um, let's not make fruity drinks and only market them toward women. Let's not make dark stouts and only market them towards men. Um, you've got to kind of change <clears throat> how you market things, even though I'm sure most people in the marketing world will say that, well, it works, so I change it. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, because they're trying to be better. That's why. Um, <clears throat> but I think just showing the world that there are women in this industry like doing stuff like this like podcasts that feature women having local newspapers and stuff reach out to women in the industry and have their photo and information in it um, in magazines and even like showing in your social media that there are women doing the work and there are also women here enjoying the product mm -hmm. enjoying the product that's interesting because something I read was, you know, which I mean, you don't have to read this to know it. If you, if you open your computer or turn on the TV, it's there that, you know, beer is advertised towards men a lot. Um, so I love that, you know, show women enjoying the product just as much as others do. Um, 
I like it a lot. Yeah, and I mean, to kind of piggyback on what Bree's saying, like we, to my chagrin and to my very like long drawn out hesitation, we have swapped over our labels that they just say brewed by women now. Um, it took me a lot because I'm also, you know, for years I was of the mindset of I've got to prove myself. And one way I can do it is not talk about my gender. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for years, I just like, didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to bring it up. I would turn down opportunities like this because I'm just like, it's just another, like, you know, it's just another way to separate me. Um, but, you know, with some time and a lot of thought and a lot of self-reflection and a lot of push from my uh, very pushy artistic director, she, you know, she just reminded me, like, you see how many women approach you when you're out at events or, you know, when you're available and wandering around and they know who you are and what you do, you see how many people approach you. And they approach you because they feel comfortable approaching you. You look like them, you sound like them, and they want to talk to you about it. And you're encouraging of them to do whatever they want to do, whether it be get into production and or marketing or whatever, front of house. And so, you know, I think I was convinced only because how many women did approach me all the time. And they just couldn't believe I could, you know, I could be out there at five, three and moving kegs around. Right. <laughs> Even they were surprised. And, um, you know, I think with that came my realization that I realized that I was more drawn to beers that were attractive to me in that way. And I knew had like a feminist tinge to them and I was like all right let's go all in so <laughs> now our labels say brewed by women um we have our just our all of our branding in general has has a pretty strong um not like not crazy pink not like that not glittery but just like a very strong like feminine feminist almost like feel to them empowerment uh strength um that type of thing and i'm really proud of them um i have to give you know my artistic director 90 percent of the credit because it's it was on her but she just had to get me to sign on that i was gonna finally admit that i was a woman that who <laughs> um but i you know in terms of empowering women, that has been what I, I feel like I've been most proud of is finally making that decision to put myself out there and say, okay, yeah, you're right. I am a girl, I do brew beer. It isn't as common as maybe it will be one day, but let's just get it going. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go ahead and let everybody see me. And um, yeah, let's, let's let everybody know, like, it's not a big deal and anybody can do it really like truly so mm -hmm. I think it's an important message too that it, it's not it's not throwing it in your face that it's women versus men it's not a, a gendered thing it's that anybody can do it it's that you're being welcoming that you're being accepting I think that's um kind of the biggest misconception of you know trying to highlight 
you know, women in an industry that it's, it's not that it's not that anybody's better. It's that anybody can, you know? So I think that it's really an important distinction and it's great to hear, you know, like, you know, you're, you're embracing it. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, we've all kind of, you know, as women probably struggled with that, you know, if I draw attention to it, you know, that's making it worse. Like, I just want it to be equal. We want equity, but by drawing attention to it, you're making it okay. So, you know, that's a great, a great message. So thinking about beer um, and exploring this theme of, of food through a humanities lens, food and drink, I guess, obviously, um, how do you feel that beer, its history, um, its ties to Missouri's cultural heritage and industry, it's a huge industry here in Missouri, um, and the future of the beer industry, how does that connect people to food, to community, you know, thinking about your own experiences, your own breweries? Um, how do you use your experiences, your beers to connect, to connect with people, to connect with food, to community? Man, um, <laughs> there's, there's so much opportunity for growing in Missouri. Um, I know quite a few chefs locally um, that forage a lot in Missouri. For, for ingredients for their food. And, you know, there's no reason why you can't do that with beer. Um, I personally haven't really used many local um, ingredients such as grain and stuff, but <clears throat> I did, I do have, uh, we work a lot with like farms. So like a couple years ago, we, uh, the, one of my chef friends uh, went to a farm that he works with and foraged some uh, spruce tips and pine needles. And we made, you know, we put, <clears throat> we put the pine needles in the mash and we put the spruce tips in the boil kettle and it gave it this awesome, awesome piney flavor <clears throat> uh, in a Saison we did. And um, a couple years before that, uh, we had a friend that went and foraged for morels and we made uh, an ESB over at Crane Brewing with with the Morels. Um, I think there's there's just so much that can be done with foraging and growing stuff in Missouri. And like I said before, I love to incorporate food in, or at least food ideas. <clears throat> there are a lot of brewers that, you know, they want to make a pecan pie beer. They'll throw a whole pecan pie in the beer. I'm kind of the opposite where I want to make the beer taste like a pecan pie without putting a pie in it, you know, <laughs> so like, like actually do the work and like <clears throat> pick apart how you make a pecan pie taste the way it does. And then how am I going to incorporate all that into making the beer and, um, and working with a lot of local chefs is a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, then you also have the that also opens up the opportunity to have that beer on tap at the restaurant do food dinners <clears throat> and then you know most brewers that i know have a local farmer that picks up their spent grain and you know that spent grain is going to feed their cows and their pigs that you know eventually either a person or a business is going to buy to make that into food so it's like a 
it's a nice big circle. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. great. And I love that you're mentioning the, I, I, I might reach out to you about these brewers that forage because um, May, our theme is um, foraging. So that's one of our, our food theme is foraging and wild edibles. So. Um, oh, awesome. Um, I just wanted to jump in about like the community and like we do like Brie does like we do a lot of collaborations with like our local restaurant scene here in St. Charles so um, we've done some really fun stuff where you know they get to choose their own proprietary barrels from you know bullet or whatever distillery and then um, I get that barrel empty and I fill it up with beer and then they get the um, beer back which is really cool but I'm working with this one restaurant right now that's going so far as they have a local um, honey guy and he's going to fill the barrel that I just emptied with a bunch of honey and they're going to barrel it just honey and they're using the beer and the honey in this food dinner. I mean, it's just like this massive, like really cool circle, this really like deep dive into like really what you can get and do here, like in Missouri. I, it's just, I, I'm fascinated by like all of his concepts and all the stuff he's thinking. He's starting to work, reach out to a coffee roaster. So they're gonna soak some of the beans in the barrels and which we're all using and touching and, um, it's just really uh, just so such a lovely, fun, collaborative uh, project that um, it's been really cool to see. But, you know, also just like, you know, talking about community and locality and the history, you know, we've seen the rise of craft beer, you know, 70s, and then it died almost completely through the 90s and macro took over. And now we're back to where we were almost pre-prohibition in terms of how many breweries we have in this country, right? But that means we can't have a million giant breweries. We are now populated with a ton of tiny breweries like us, you know, like what we are doing. And very specifically, we are the neighborhood haunt right we're the neighborhood we're the corner bar that brews our own beer for our communities i work very directly with the charities in my community i work very directly with the restaurants and and the other like small businesses in my community and it's it's very um lovely that i don't have to stress about going into st louis to like work with those groups because all those breweries are doing exactly that in their own neighborhoods. So we've, we have this lovely opportunity now as the craft brewing industry to involve our neighbors, our regulars are just down the street from us. They bring their friends and families here. Um, and, and it just makes this like really, um, like our whole goal when we opened up was to provide that exact space, right? That space where people of our neighborhoods and our community can come like-minded into local, not wanting a big chain restaurant. They can, they can put faces and names to the people making this product. They can have a beer and a conversation over that beer that's productive and kind and I think that's what that's what our 
industry is now doing for our communities is we're providing those spaces, you know, we're providing the beer gardens and the parties and the, the place where you can bring your kids and, you know, we can now be that space of, you know, fun and enjoyment. You don't have to go to, you know, I don't want to call out all the chain restaurants across the street from me, but there's a lot of them. So <laughs> just know that. So, um, but yeah, you know, I'd love to just, I understand that there is a pushback in, on some of these larger regional breweries of not wanting to go hyper-local. And I'm not saying we all have to go hyper-local. I'm just saying you can have your regular hangout and your regular su suggested place and it can be two blocks from you. And that's cool. If someone is listening and they're interested in starting in the brewing industry, what should their first steps be? And uh, I think a second part to that is, what about someone in the industry that wants to take their career further? I think um, if you're interested in starting in this industry, if you're not already, a home brewer, then <clears throat> just go to a homebrew meeting. Um, there's probably a local group near you. Um, like we have four in Kansas City, so it's pretty hard to miss one. <clears throat> uh, most of the folks at homebrew love to just hang out with people on brew day and talk about their process. And so just go to a meeting and, and talk to them and see if you can hang out on a brew day with them, that'll at least get you to kind of understand if it's interesting to you, like if actually doing it is something you'd want to do. Um, <clears throat> and then if it is, then maybe then you can decide if from there, if you want to go, if you want to start homebrewing and do that for a while, or if you want to, you know, take some classes like, like Abby does and <clears throat> just go for it and and start uh, in the industry. There's a lot of people that, you know, want to open a brewery but don't know how to brew. So, I mean, that's an option. You can own a brewery and hire a brewer and have someone else brew for you. You don't have to know everything to open a brewery. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, it also like, you know, my, my dad and my brother helped teach me. I kind of hung out with them on brew days for a long time before getting any of my own equipment just so I knew what I was getting into before getting into it um and then I got a lot of really nice stuff about six months before I became head brewer so <laughs> that's fun <laughs> um yeah and then you know if you're already in the industry then just just keep learning listen podcasts uh read some books there's a million books about brewing um i mean there's you know yeast spe yeast specific books and uh, hop specific books and whatever you want to learn more about join your brewer local brewers guild they help immensely when it comes to regulations in the state and in the country um and then you know if <clears throat> if you're already at a brewery but you want to go further then if a spot opens up, then don't be afraid to tell um, them that you want it. Yeah, I definitely think, 
you know, the learning aspect is huge, especially like it's very specific to the production side, right? So anything that you want to do on the production side, just be a sponge and just everything you can. I, I would say my biggest advice to anybody wanting to get into the industry or even moving up is just to ask, like just be bold and brave, something I never would have done in a million years and just go ask, hey, can I come brew with you one day? Hey, can I come keg with you one day? Hey, can I see what your day is actually like? And, you know, I, it's, brewing sounds very glamorous and it's actually the opposite, right? And so for people to actually want to know what I do every day, I'm like, yes, I would love to show you. And I would love to make you clean up instead of me clean up. Absolutely. Anytime you want to come, <laughs> you can come any day. So I, I, anyone who asks me, can I come hang out with you for a day? It's almost always a yes. Um, and, you know, they can really get a feel. And on those days, those are the days that I'm much more willing and able to open up and really answer more questions. You know, if I see that they're serious enough to show up with me at 7 a.m., sure, I'll talk to you about anything you want. But if you're not going to show up at 7 a.m. and you're just going to be like, eh, it's too early, it's not for you, right? So it's it's a hard labor-intensive industry that is not for everybody by any means. It's exhausting. Your bones hurt at the end of every day. And, and so, yeah, you just, I just think, yeah, just asking people like what they do and can you hang out? It's a big deal. And maybe you want to be in the brewing industry and you're not really into the production side power to you, go find something else in the beer industry. There's a million things that can be done that need to be done between like creative design and web stuff. And I need people constantly helping me with event coordinating and managing and festivals. And I mean, there's just, the, the list is endless when it comes to our industry. We don't have much money. So anything, if you wanna get in and you wanna help out, there's a spot for sure. Awesome. Last question. So if you're, you know, going to a grocery store, going to your local liquor store, um, what are you picking up to drink? A lager. Yeah. Any, any lager. I, I really love Casey Beer Co's Hellas. Um, it's one of my favorite beers in the world. Um, or Stockyards, Cerveza Royale. Um, I can drink lagers when it's hot or when it's freezing out. Um, they're finally being becoming appreciated by the craft beer industry. And it's really nice, so. Right. Yeah, my go-to is a Czech Pilsner. So we are of the same ilk for sure. We, uh, <laughs> yeah, Czech Pilsner, Pilsner Arkell is kind of like one of my favorites. It's an import from the Czech Republic, but here locally Second Shift has Technical Ecstasy, which is a Czech Pils. And mine comes out in about a month and that's all I'll drink for the month that I have it on tap. So yeah, <laughs> awesome. if I can't get my favorite Pilsner, anything super, super, super bitter, I'll drink that too. So the most bitter IPA, I'll, I'll drink that any day of the week. So interesting. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Abby and Bree for your time, for your insights and for sharing your stories with us. Um, Best of luck to you both in your careers. We hope uh, your passion for this industry continues to 
drive you to do great things and uh, for brewing and for, for women alike. Well, that wraps up episode two. But Lisa, I do have one question for you. What is your beer of choice these days? Well, as you know, I'm a seasonal beer drinker, but a bit of a sour beer fanatic. Rainbow Sherbert by Prairie Artisan Ales in Kansas is one of my go-to sour beers, but I do need to give a shout out to one of my all-time favorite breweries, Scratch Brewing Company near Shawnee National Forest in Southern Illinois. Scratch focuses on farmhouse ales and other styles brewed with homegrown and locally farmed and forged ingredients. I will say, though, after hearing Abby talk about Third Wheel Brewing Company's Fruity Sours, I definitely need to stop in and give them a try. Caitlin, how about you? What is your go-to beer? You know, I'm actually not a big beer drinker. (laughs) It isn't usually my drink of choice if I'm out or picking something out at the store, but some days a cold beer just really does hit the spot. I really like Urban Chestnut's Schnickelfritz, which is a Bavarian-style Weiss beer or wheat beer. Um, Recently, an MH staff member actually introduced me to KC Beer Company's Dunkel, which is a brown lager, and I really liked that. And in the summer, I love um, Raspberry Hefeweizen from Schlafly. It really honestly depends on the day, the weather, the mood. You know, it's kind of all relative for me. All tasty options. Caitlin, this was such an important and impactful conversation. I agree. I was honored to talk with Bree and Abby, and I'll definitely be checking out their breweries in the near future. Thanks again to these lovely ladies for their stories. And we hope you all get a chance to support them sometime soon. Be sure to stay tuned to our Eat, Think, and Be Merry podcast for our next episode. We'll be releasing a live recording of our April Think and Drink event that took place in Springfield at Mother's Brewing Company. We had a very engaging conversation with three local restaurant owners around the relationship between food, community, sustainability, and cultural connections. You won't want to miss it. To learn more about our 2022 signature series, visit mohumanities.org slash food. This podcast is brought to you by Missouri Humanities. Please help us share these stories by sharing episodes with friends, family, and on your social media platforms. If you're listening on an app, don't forget to follow us and leave a review. I'm Caitlin Yeager, and we hope you tune in for future episodes of Eat, Think, and Be Merry as we explore more of Missouri's foodways and edible history and connect through food.